Welcome to The Academic Citizen, a podcast about critical issues in higher education. The podcast is sponsored by ASAWU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University, based in Johannesburg, South Africa. Our podcast explores a wide variety of issues about university life relevant to staff and students looking at issues in South Africa, Africa and beyond. In each episode, we speak to a guest who has special insight or expertise in a particular subject. And we also bring in student voices linked to that theme. My name is Nosipom Gomezulu. And my name is Mahita Ikani. And, and we're, we're your hosts. My name is Tisom Suewu, student at Boston Media House, third year student, in fact. And in all the three years or the past two years I've been studying here, there's been no support structure for students here. Uh, students who feel like they're not coping with their studies. There's nothing at all. It's just you sink or you swim by yourself. There are no support structures that are set up here. Welcome to this week's episode of The Academic Citizen. Today I speak to Leila Abdul-Ghafur, who is a team leader for the psychological services at the PSYCAD at UJ. She's a registered educational psychologist. Her experience lies in student counseling and plays an active role in UJ in the empowerment of students. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. One of the first things that I'd like for us to talk about is, is this research that came out of the Department of Higher Education last year, where they released a report that stated that almost half, a staggering 47.9% of students who start university never finish, and a large majority of those students are black students. And while reading through this report and trying to understand these statistics, one of the things that I was really interested in us interrogating in today's show is to ask what are some of the reasons why we've got such a huge dropout rate amongst university students. So maybe we can start there in telling us a little bit in your experience what you think are some of the challenges that students face and struggle with that lead to such high dropout rates. I think one of the most foremost reasons for me is that students strive to get into university but they don't actually know what they want to study at Varsity. So they apply for any course that they make the points for. So when you apply to Varsity, there's a certain number of points that you need to have for particular courses. And they apply purely on what they can possibly get into, nothing related to career development, what their possible interests may be, no career assessments or guidance or anything given to them. They come to Varsity They sometimes don't research what the particular course is that they've actually gotten into. They start studying and they realize that A, they don't have the ability to complete the course, B, the course is just not interesting to them, and C, sometimes the course just kind of takes them in a different angle as to where they envisioned themselves as a person. So if they envision themselves working in an office, they now realize that this course is now something that is outside, say if it's quantity surveying or something, and it's not what I wanted to do. The next reason why people drop out is really finances. Finances is a huge problem at higher education, from the ability to be able to pay fees, to the ability to have accommodation, to have food, to have money for textbooks and photostats, for, to have money to 
put together assignment. You know, there's just so many things that you actually need money for. Unfortunately, you know, students sometimes believe that if we put together the money and we have enough money to be able to basically have pay that registration fee, somehow things will come together. Somehow I'll get a bursary. But so often, I mean, even with NASFAS and all of the other bursaries that are available, you have to apply the year before, you know, and then the finances don't come through. And then they really, really, really struggle. And I admire so many students that come through our doors, which are literally working on almost no food, but are still studying and getting through. One of the other reasons is academic unpreparedness. For example, coming into varsity, the schooling system, maybe, you know, you just kind of skimmed by, you just kind of made it, you just made it into the course, but you academically are just completely underprepared to be able to make it through the course. So you're already sitting on a back foot and added onto the fact of not having accommodation, not having food, etc. It really, really sets you behind. Another reason sometimes is that even if they do have finances and food and things like that, sometimes they are first generation students. And when you are a first generation student, it is sometimes hard emotionally for your family to give you the support that you need because they think that you're going to school and they don't really have a good idea of what you're doing at varsity. So that is another reason why students sometimes really, really battle because there's all of this pressure on them. But at home, they aren't perhaps given the time or they've given too many chores to actually be able to put in the time to do well in their studies. Sure. I mean, these are huge questions, which I think no one institution has found to, you know, to solve some of these challenges. But in your experience at working at, at SciCAD, can you tell us a little bit more, especially about how kind of emotional support you offer to, to first-generation students who are facing these challenges? Okay, at SciCAD, we have something called a walk-in service. So at any time during the day, a student can come through and see a psychologist for 15 minutes. And if a therapy referral or anything like that is required afterwards, we then book it. If if I think about a lot of that, we call this this service advisory. And if I think about a lot of the advisories that we do, it generally generally is students who just need someone to talk to, who doesn't judge them, who understands them, who would basically say to them, let's look at some of the skills that you need to be able to manage it. Is it time management that you need? Is it stress management? Is it you learning how to manage your social media better? You know, because that's a huge thing. Students battle with the fact that they have WhatsApp and Facebook and Twitter and things like that, and they're battling to concentrate. What is it specifically that you needed? And then we then refer through for the relevant services whether it is within SciCAD or within other units at the university that offer support. I, I want to return to this issue of, of students managing through, through these myriad challenges. Before, before we get there, because I think there's a very central question that we do need to consider about this relationship with our structures of our universities, the way they set up the, the ideal student mm. that they were designed for. But before I get into that, I, I want to just backtrack a little bit into thinking about how we as academics and as people who work in residences and people who mm-hmm. work, you know, in, in support staff at universities, how how can we notice some of the warning signs or identify these students in crisis, especially those who are in first year and might not even realize their time of crisis? I know in residence, it's sometimes really, really, really easy to pick up in the sense that a student who generally would be social or generally be chatting suddenly starts spending a lot of their time in their room. You would notice that the student is losing a lot of weight. The student doesn't have many friends. Residences actually have great support because they generally have residence sort of committees with 
them and and they generally keep a good eye on the first years the first years generally have a plan in the residences in terms of a social plan or in terms of different events that they have to attend and do and and often you know committees pick it up house committees pick it up and hawkers contact us say we're worried about the student can we refer them through i know at uj we have something called residence academic advisors and all of the first years are actually assigned to a resident advisor who keeps an eye on them during the first year and offers basically academic tutoring after hours and these RAAs are trained in knowing what services psychiat offer so they can then refer through to us so in the reses it's a little bit easier to pick up in the faculties it's quite difficult to pick up because there's no register there's so many first year students in a class there's no way that a red you know that a lecturer can actually pick up what's happening with the student unless they're looking at marks and the student is suddenly really declining or not doing well and they call them in but then again it's quite difficult to pick up i think a lot of students kind of get lost in the system at universities and not because support services aren't advertising their services but because students are sometimes only aware of a particular service when they actually need it so you can come in during orientation and you can let everyone know about all of the different services that your support unit provides but students are sometimes bombarded with just so much during that first year seminar um and there's just so much going on that it's only late on in the year when they need services that they start actively seeking it and those are also only the students which actively seek help those which suddenly get to the point where they're so desolate and they've lost all hope in themselves generally don't even know where to begin to search for services mm. and so your advice in, in this matter would be better advertising of the services i mean how how do you see the role of uh, universities playing a more active role in being able to catch students maybe before these times of crisis where they are dropping mm. out or you know underperforming well if i think about what we have done is we have gone online and we've noticed that students love social media they're constantly online they constantly looking and seeking for instant gratification and what we've done is we've established facebook and twitter pages where every single first year student gets a sticker with our details on we also have a 24 hour crisis line and we give that to all of the first year students as well because they all meet us during first year seminar and we've also established something called on ulink a module that basically contains a lot of our workshops and that which students can watch in the comfort of their own home and we're hoping in that way they can get what they need immediately and then feel more comfortable to come through to us for the actual therapy that's really interesting that you've moved online as as a central aspect 2 weeks ago we were talking about you know how online learning has become so aspect and within high education but in that there's also the the necessity for us to consider how online needs to be bolstered by that offline engagement by those thick relationships that is able to form face to face and i was wondering you know you've mentioned re- the resident system and for universities around the country that have a strong resident system those kinds of systems are of support kind of built in but i do wonder also about the kind of work that universities can do to support peer to peer mentorship have you found that peer to peer mentorship does occur and if so how does it work look mentoring is huge at the moment at uj i think almost every single faculty has a mentoring system psychad itself runs a mentoring system i run a mentoring system with a colleague of mine and which runs for psychiatrists called peer buddies and basically each student is trained 
in how to mentor other students. And for example, within my program, each student mentors three new students per semester. Three first year students which are battling then have the support of a mentor. They mentor tee them once a week for half an hour. So it isn't too much on the peer buddy, which is doing the mentoring. But at the same time, that person knows that every single week, there's someone who's checking up on me and my marks, checking up that I'm well emotionally, making sure that I get the support that I need. And it really works incredibly well because, I mean, we've run campaigns before where we have pamphlets and you walk around and you give them to students. And to be frankly honest, I would do the same thing. You throw it in the bin because it's just a piece of paper. But when your peer comes to talk to you and offers you support and understands you on the same level, and because they're going through the same experience, as you, but they're just a few years senior, it really, really hits home and students really seem to flourish from the system. And have you had any detractors or critiques? Because one of the, um, in the move to make higher education and universities a much more supportive space, making that we're not just there to simply churn out certificates, uh-huh. but you know, support a whole three-dimensional person's learning there has been kind of a pushback from other from other members of faculty saying you know this is not the role of the university that you are over the age of 17 you should be able to do xyz for yourself how do you respond to those kinds of uh, critiques of buddy systems and mentorship systems within higher education that that say this is not really the role of universities look i think it's so difficult because all of the students that are coming in are coming in from different backgrounds And they're coming in from different schools, some that have had resources, some that haven't had resources. Schools where there have been plenty of teachers to be able to teach you study habits and study techniques and stuff like that. And some of our students, frankly, haven't had that. Um, So it's really important that if you want students to succeed, to be able to get them on the same page. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is to give them the chance to get there and give them the extra support that they need in their first year so that they can get to that point. Um, and and to be honest, I think if a student is coming to the university, it is important to try and give them as much support as possible to get them through the system and to get them to, to the point where they can then start successful lives of their own. And it leads me quite nicely to, to the next thing that I wanted to, to ask about, you know, that, that high schools play a big role in the preparation of students. I mean, enter into an engineering one class or psychology one there's yep. a particular expectation from your from your lecturer that you know you are familiar with the essay format you are familiar with basic mathematics and such so that they can get on with you giving you the, the real set I suppose that they'd like to engage in class and so what we're constantly finding is this tension between high school or secondary school and high education that whose role is it to adequately prepare students, especially with this key word that's been thrown around of building resilience. Could you speak a little bit more about how that bridge between high school and university can be better managed? Look, I I can tell you that the the jump from high school to varsity is huge. Um, If I think about myself personally, I mean, it's huge. What you do in a month at school, you do in two lectures at varsity. And I think nothing can really adequately prepare you for that. I mean, there's nothing you can do except for work harder, study harder, but studying smart. Most universities do have units at the university, support units that teach study skills, um, and they usually do do that in the first week at varsity. So I think the first year seminar is an important week where the universities try to bridge from school to varsity. 
But I do think that students that generally do extended programs, you know, where the first year is kind of a merge between school and varsity and a bit of a catch up, you know, and going through content slowly, I find that those ones actually generally get through the system quite well and actually do quite well because they've had a year kind of off a soft year varsity for moving mainstream again. And, and those students tend, tend to have better success rates, I would think, just because they got that support. So I think students don't realize it, but orientation, that, that first week of first year seminar is so important because it really teaches you and gives you some of the skills that you need to be able to set you the right fit forward. And even simple things like knowing where the library is and setting up your computer account and stuff like that, if you don't have that set up, you really are going to battle in that first year because most of our assignments and submissions and essays and tests and stuff are actually online now. And it really sets you in a back foot. I mean, even computer training, if I'm not mistaken, is offered in that week. And some of our students have never used a PC before. The first time that they're exposed to it, they've never had the opportunity. And, and I think it's important that they are given the chance to be trained in it so that they can do as well as they should. Sure. No, you, you're touching on, on experiences that I've also seen within universities that in as much as you know, you might have a computer where you place or uh, the idea that you are submitting um, your assignments online, that there are multiple assignments for various subjects that no one can you. So I completely agree that these orientation seminars play a key role in offering students a, at least some kind of um, adjustment period but clearly it also means that if this is a as if, if this is impacting students to the point where almost 50% are dropping out it means that our orientation weeks cannot only happen once off but require ongoing engagements i guess look universities have have something called first year experience um, and I know at UJ we have something called first year experience where there's a whole lot of activities and a whole lot of things that happen for the year that is basically for first years that gives them additional support that constantly reminds them there's an online module as well that they have for first years now at UJ um, called Success 101 and it, and it basically has all of the different tools and tells you about all of the different support services and makes you do different activities just to keep you going but the thing is sometimes Students are just so overwhelmed with just their varsity work and keeping up with that and making sure that they have enough to eat and a place to stay and just having enough money, you know, for transport to be able to get through that they just don't have the time or capacity to actually utilize these other services because they're just trying to survive. And this is the question that I wanted to return to on, on the question of managing and as much as we might... Uh celebrate and uphold students who overcome overwhelming challenges and, and, and barriers to their studying, there is also a sense for me of considering why is it that we design our higher education the way that we do? If we recognize, you know, for instance, that a majority of our students come from home backgrounds where there might be no kind of support for you know the university experience because they're expected to fulfill other roles where we recognize there are financial barriers to our, to our students being able to thrive how we define success for me then needs to be strongly recalibrated because if we are just expecting our students to just simply manage surely yeah. that's not good enough which for me then begs the question how do you, how do you see especially the, the philosophy around SCICAD how do you see the purpose really of students getting um, these university degrees? Is it simply to 
to get them to pass and manage or mm-hmm. or how do you envision it look i think the most heartbreaking thing is to have someone come through who has the potential who's just been through so many barriers that they actually give up or at the point of giving up or someone who basically sells their soul to get this degree you know they put everything into it their community has put everything into it in the hope that things and lives change around all over completely and and to be frankly honest i i think sometimes we when we accept students where and I, and i know and i know there's no way to check this but when we accept students that basically can just afford that registration fee and they're going to drop out during the year because they just don't have the money for it i wonder if we sometimes do a disservice accepting students at varsity which just cannot financially cannot financially make it it's heartbreaking it it really is and and i guess it also brings to to the question of then thinking about the role of our psychological services performing two roles really because on the one hand we would like to teach students resilience for them to be able to to have the kind of personal strength and the network and support to be able to get through but similarly then because of the socio-economic and political context in in South Africa a large part of that is about resistance can you speak to your experiences in how you've seen students navigate between these two modes of both forging resilience but also resisting what may be unfair or unjust systems that they experience i think our role at psycad is to empower students to empower students emotionally with the skills and 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 tools that they need to be able to be successful in their own lives to help them to overcome some of the difficult things that they are going through unfortunately some of the difficult things that they are going through are sometimes financial or food related which is nothing that we could assist with you know we can help them to sit and try and look at different options of where they can possibly get funding or whatever but but often you know it's it's stuff that we can't assist with and for some students it it either leads to you feeling internally strong and you draw from strength within you and you find a way of making it work and you make it work and that resilience builds up so you develop a high internal locus of control and then on the other hand it could be students that actually become quite angry angry that they have been accepted into varsity and they actually don't have something to eat um angry that there is a food scheme at UJ but if i'm not mistaken i think it feeds between 6 to 10,000 students but we have 45,000 students so there are students which are not getting and and it then builds up in anger and this anger then gets directed at the university the anger gets directed at the SRC the anger gets directed at the department of education or the minister of education and and i think it gets to the point with some students where you've tried every avenue and things are not going through and and you kind of feel angry and frustrated with your lot in life so yeah so i think then makes us really re- reassess how we speak of these statistics um that come from the department of higher education right so when we see this 47.9% and we might think yes there is definitely an aspect of supporting students to manage but also recognizing that there's a large political will as to this as well that we we can't simply say you know push further when a student is forced to sleep in a library so there's an element of political uh, imperative that comes with the psychological fortitude yeah. that we're expecting of our students and i think it's something that is often left out of these conversations on yes we need to mentor our students more but we also need to recognize this grave need for altering the conditions that create 
these crises to begin with. I, I think we, we have been talking about students. I think it's also important to consider academics as well, who, especially for young academics who are coming into the university space, do you find that there are enough services and support structures to mentor academics themselves to deal with the challenges and the pressures of working within higher education? I don't think mentoring has gone that far. I think most universities have psychological support for all of their staff. I know that UK has uh, done a wonderful job with that. And besides SciCAD, there's an outside company that all staff can contact to get free sessions um, and, and to get support. But I don't think there is actually a mentoring for staff particularly. I know HR departments have a lot of trainings that staff can attend. Um, I know, uh, for example, I can even get support on how to use Microsoft Office. You know, all of these courses are available to me. But I don't think there is a particular mentoring that is actually running at the moment for staff in particular. And, and I think that might be a, an area that also needs serious consideration, especially as our, as our universities are undergoing um, serious rethinks, um, decolonization, <laughs> that we, we yeah. do need to seriously consider that it's not just simply a matter of churning our students out you know into the world but also recognizing is doing this churning out and the kind of support structures necessary for the academics the support staff um to be able to to do this kind of work yeah to do it as well as possible one of the things that i was reading um was around you know the the question of people feeling outside of, of the of the university um especially reading around what's happening in in the U.S. around um, academics and students feeling that there's growing repression around what kind of ideas can and can't be shared within the university space. Um, and one of the things that stood out for me in an article I was reading about Gloria Hull and Barbara Smith, um, who wrote the Manifesto for Black Women's Studies, is that they argue we must maintain a constantly militant and critical stance towards the places where we must do our work. And this really struck me that there's a real tension, I think, with trying to rework the place of higher education and the role of higher education while also holding it up as a central good for our society. And I was wondering what you make of this and in your experience of working with various students from all walks of life, this critical stance towards places of study and work how does it play out when one is trying to do the work of decolonizing but also upholding the university as, as a good? Look, this is something that, that's actually very interesting because this month, in fact, um, SICAD is hosting a colloquium um, and different speakers have been invited from different universities and it's open to anyone to attend. And we are having a colloquium on the decolonization of psychology. Um, because we actually want to have a discussion. We actually want to engage with this. We actually want to try and figure out what we can do within psychology to try and decolonize it such that our students that come through to get therapy are getting the best possible service or the best possible manner of giving them the therapy that they need so that they can leave understanding exactly what it is that they're sitting in. Unfortunately, psychology has been developed to be a very Western concept. 
Um, and we're sitting at the moment where students are sitting in, okay, I have a difficulty. My psychologist says to me that I am depressed, but my Sangoma says to me that there are people in my community which are jealous of me, and I need to do X, Y, and Z to be able to get rid of this problem. And there needs to be almost a merging of the two or an understanding of the two. So students are not sitting at this dichotomy of, do I still attend therapy sessions? Do I follow what my Sangoma says? You know, what do I need to do? So this is something that, that we are actively trying to work on and try and find a solution or a better plan or better way of working such that we can actually give our students what they need, which is what our role actually is. This is why we are here, to help our students. That's really fascinating. And I'm really glad you brought up that there, there, there is this kind of um, imperative to bring in alternative healing practices and an awareness that our students come from such diverse communities and so the support that they might need isn't only going to come from one particular space so that's really fantastic what are the dates for for the colloquium is it open to the public the colloquium is on the 23rd of may and I know invites have been sent out all over the place, but anyone who is interested can actually attend. They just have to RSVP because the space that we are using can only take 100 people. So basically, it's been set up such that, you know, the first sort of 150, 100 people that apply for the place can actually then can actually then book a seat. Sure, and the information is available on the SciCAD website. Um, I'm not too sure if it's available on the SciCAD website, but what I can do is I'm happy to give my email address if anyone is interested and I can email them the information. And because the information has been circulated in the psychology field, but I don't think it's, it's, it's been circulated broadly as yet. So if you want, my email address is l-e-i-l-a-a-g at u-j dot a-c dot z-a. Brilliant, because I do think it's such an important issue that you've raised um, and for us all to, to seriously consider that in as much as we... We want to ensure that there are psychological support systems, that there are mentorship programs in our universities. We yeah. locate all of these within the fact that we come from larger communities and with different different cultural perspectives on what healing is. It's so important that within the university space, we start to actually infuse these other forms of knowing and healing and support to be a part of our universities, to reflect the diversity within which we work. Thank you so much for highlighting that. I think that's really important work that you guys are doing. And I hope Thank that you. the colloquium really does bring some useful insights onto those issues. Yes. So is there anything, that, before we wrap up on our show, is there anything you'd like to, to leave our uh, listeners with, uh, whether they're academics or students, um, mm. around issues of mentorship in higher education? If you're a student, please find out about all of the different service units that are available at the university. You know, utilize them. You know, they're units at universities, not only for therapy, but for study skills and to help you to write assignments, you know, and, and to help you with your computer skills and things like that. Utilize all of those services because those are all of the tools that you need to help you in your pack to succeed. So empower yourself and utilize all of these free services so that you can do the best you can. 
for academic staff, I think sometimes, you know, the amount of pressure that is placed on you with, with class load and test load, you know, and, and just course load and having to produce articles and things like that, you often under severe stress. And it's very important for you to access services like SciCAD, which are available at all universities. All universities have counseling centers, you know, find out what services are available and get the emotional support that you need. Um, because sometimes just having someone to talk to really just changes the way you view things and just gives you a little bit more structure and support. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for giving us your time, Leila. Really appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure anytime. Um, I'm doing my final year with UNISA on industrial and organizational psychology um, through open distance learning. I feel that I receive a whole lot of support. Do you have uh, access to uh, uh, the lecturer's email? So if we have like questions or if you are doing like, a revision on, on, your, on your fair exams, you can just drop an email to, to the lecturer. And depending obviously, on how busy they are, they will respond. Sometimes they don't really respond immediately. Uh, it takes about a few days, but sometimes if they're not quite busy, they will respond on the same day. We, we, we normally uh, form WhatsApp groups. Like currently, I'm on two WhatsApp groups uh, where we discuss um, hot topics on, on, on that's related to our program. The Academic Citizen is a podcast sponsored by ASAU, the Academic Staff Association of Wits University. ASAU is the union representing the interests of academic staff at Wits. For more information, visit www.asau.org.za. The Academic Citizen aims to be a platform for a diversity of views and opinions. We welcome your feedback, comments, and suggestions for future guests and shows. Email us at theacademiccitizen at gmail.com or leave a comment at www.theacademiccitizen.org. Research, scheduling, editing, and production was done by me, Simba Rashe Wondem. Jager Malko created our jingles.